0: Deuteronomy 34, and before I read, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Father God, Lord, we we just come here to uh, worship you, Lord, to to hear your word for us, and uh, to be encouraged by you and by your love and your grace. And we're just so thankful for you, God. Um, I pray that uh, that your word tonight that it resonates with us, Lord, that it it just sinks in uh, into our hearts. That, that you soften our hearts Lord and and continue to to mold us and shape us into the, the likeness of Christ Lord um, through his love and his mercy and grace um, we love you and we thank you I pray that that you just bless Kenny and his words tonight Lord that, that you just uh, encourage him as he steps up here and we're just so thankful for him uh, and for his his courage and and his will to uh, to please you um you And it's in your son's name. Amen. All right. Uh, So Deuteronomy 34, we're going to start in verse one. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of names and places in here. So uh, give me grace when it comes to those. Um, All right. So uh, then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judea, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho and the city of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I will have... Or I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Now, uh, verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials, to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel.
1: Amen, thank you Phil for reading that. Morning everybody, how are we doing today?
2: Good, fairly fairly well sounds like. Glad to be with you all today. Um, one of my favorite movies is um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Some some of you guys have seen that. It sounds like uh, how, how many of you have seen that? Okay, oh that's a good number. All right, um, it's kind of a cult classic, and um, you either love it or hate it. If you haven't seen it, it's it's British sketch comedy that's just totally over uh, off the wall. Probably in the 70s or so when they made it, and um, it's uh, King Arthur and the Knights of Camelot, and they're going around, you know, just silly escapades and all this stuff, and I think it's a little over two hours long, and um, almost every time that I've invited a friend to watch it with me and then we get to the end, they hate it, (laughs) and they hate it because the end, and this is a spoiler alert, but you guys have had like 45 years to watch this movie, Um, so... uh, but in, in the ending scene, it, it, the, King Arthur has got all his knights, and they're ready, and they're going to go storm the French castle to find the Holy Grail. And as soon as like, the music's going, and, the, and they're in their you know, chain-link armor, and they got their swords, and they're ready, to, and then right as they start charging, you hear these police sirens, and, and this is set in the year 932 A.D., You hear these police sirens and cars come out in the middle of the battlefield, and the cop, like, arrests King Arthur, and the movie ends. (laughs) That's it. And that's why everyone that has watched it with me is like, this movie was horrible. (laughs) Why did you just waste my time, Kenny? Um, Because it's such a big, it's a big turn in the story that you weren't expecting. It's just like, those those police cars come up, and it's like, what is this? This doesn't make sense. I thought we were headed somewhere. Um, That is kind of too big of a turn in the story. And I love it, and I laugh and all that stuff. But the reason I bring that up is because that kind of thing happens to us in life. Maybe not a lot, but it happens to all of us. We have uh, times where our story is going along, and it seems to make sense. And then er, there's a turn. There's a turn in your story. And whether it's um, something that you were expecting to happen that didn't happen... Uh, or whether it's something you weren't expecting to happen that did happen. You know, maybe it's there's a there's a promotion you really wanted at work, and you worked really hard for it, and you practiced your interview skills, and you got ready, and then you didn't get it, um, and you're let down. Or maybe it's a, a relationship that you're in that you were really given your all to, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's over, and you're just there in the shambles of it, and like, what what where do I go from here? I thought this was going to end this other way, and yet there's a turn in my story. And I want to talk to you today about those times when there's a turn in your story, that what you've got to do in those times is turn to God. When there's a turn in your story, you've got to turn to God because God is the only one who can make sense of your story. Amen? Amen. All right. I got two with me. Amen. When your story takes a turn, you've got to turn to God because God is the only one who can make sense of your story, whatever the situation may be. You've got to come to a place, if you're in that spot where your story has taken an abrupt turn and you don't know what to make sense of it, you've got to ask God, God, help me to see my story from your perspective. God, help me to understand as much as I can, as much as possible. Help me to have some kind of view into this thing that's happened, into this turn in the story where I get your perspective on it and not my own. And when you do ask that, God's going to give you clarity. God's going to give you clarity in what you need to do in this moment right now. Maybe not what you need to do five months from now. Maybe not what you need to do five hours from now. But right now, God will give you clarity in this moment in terms of what he's called you to do. So the passage that Phil read today is the end of Deuteronomy. It's the end of the Torah or the Pentateuch, which is just a really fun word <laughs> for the first five books of the Bible, right? So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And this is the very last chapter of the last book in that setting. And what we see is it really, it feels like a turn in the story. If you've been following along, if you're familiar with, with the story of the Israelites, Moses showed up in the second book. He showed up in the, in the first chapter or two of Exodus. And God says, the, you know, the, the burning bush that didn't burn up, and God calls him, and you're going to bring my people um, out of Egypt. And from that point on, Moses is at the center of everything God does for the people of Israel. For all of Exodus, all of Leviticus and the law, all of Numbers, all of Deuteronomy. It's mostly his speeches. And then here we get to the end of this book. And all of it's been leading up. All the miracles and God bringing his people out of Egypt. And, and, and squashing Pharaoh's army and, and God giving them the law and showing them here's what it means to be my people. You are my people, and here's what it means to have life and freedom as my people. All of that is leading up to God is saying, I'm going to keep my promise, and I'm going to take you into the promised land that I swore to your ancestors that lived so long ago you didn't even know, but I'm going to keep my promise. And then here at the end, as you read it, or as I read it, there's part of me that's like, er, wait a second, Moses doesn't get to go? What? Every time that God has spoken to his people for the last four books, Moses has been at the center of that, or at least in the mix. And now it's, here you go, Moses, you got to see it, but you don't get to go in. <laughs> and then he died in Moab. Moab. Just, just across the Jordan River from the promised land. You get to see but not go. And that feels like a, that feels like more than like sirens coming on the battlefield. That's like, what? Uh, and there's a way of reading that where we, we think, I think, and if you're honest, maybe you think, like, is that fair? Like, God, is that, is that fair? Is that, is that the way it should work? I mean, all that, like, you guys with me? <laughs> There's times when we have moments like that where something like that happens. And it, I don't know about you, but for me, it kind of like makes you question everything that you did. Just like my friends question, why did you make me waste two hours on that movie? Like, I come to times in my life where it's like, God, did I waste my time for the past six years doing this? God, did I wait? Come on now. <laughs> All right. Um, and, I, and I wonder, as I read this, I'm thinking, Moses, what, what, what was it all for? You led those people. You, you led those people who grumbled and complained. You led those people who wanted to lead a mutiny against you. You led those people that one time you prayed to God and said, God, what did I do that you made me responsible for these people? <laughs> and yet here, and now I don't get to go into the promised land, but I also want to ask, is it sad? I know there's something that we read in it at first. We're like, that doesn't seem right. But I want to question that. Is it actually sad, this end of Deuteronomy, this end of the story? Because one of the other things you see is that Moses, more than anyone else up to that point, experienced intimacy with God. I mean, the Bible says he would speak with the Lord as one speaks to another face to face. There's a time in, in uh, Exodus 34 after the golden calf incident. Everyone remember that? <laughs> Golden calf, didn't go too well. Um, And (laughs) Moses goes back to the Lord and and is just saying, God, show me your glory. I want to know you more. I want to know what you're like. And and the Lord says, well, you can't see my glory and live, but I'll show you an aspect of my character. And again, I'm paraphrasing, not reading from the text here. Um, But then what the Lord does is covers, covers up his eyes so he won't die when he sees him. But when he passes by, the Lord says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's the first time that phrase ever shows up in the Bible. Moses is the first one that got to hear God revealing himself as this. I'm, I am compassionate. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. Moses got to hear that. The reason we know that phrase is because God showed that to Moses. That's the level of intimacy that he had with God. And yeah, I know he didn't get to go into the physical promised land. He got to see it. But I do believe, and I believe the rest of the scripture attests to, he got to go into his eternal reward. The eternal promised land. And so as I read the book, I think that's why we don't get... um, we don't know what Moses is feeling in this moment, but it doesn't say that he is overcome with regret or thinking that he got the bad end of the deal. The reason I bring all this up is cuz the story makes you ask questions. It makes us ask questions about ourselves. One of the questions that makes me ask is this, is God my promised land? Is God your promised land. Vince preached on that a couple months ago in in our redemption series through the book of Exodus. And it was incredible. And if you you haven't heard it, I suggest you go back and listen to it because I can't preach a whole sermon on just that. I'm just going to touch on it. But it's a question worth asking over and over again of yourself. Is God my promised land? Do you want what God has for you or do you want God? And I know they're not mutually exclusive. Sometimes they go together. But I'm saying, which one do you want more? If, if you got everything your heart longs for, if everything that you're hoping for right now, that you're silently hoping in your heart, that you wake up thinking about when no one tells you to think about, if you got all that and you didn't have God's presence, would you be happy?
1: That's the question. Is God your promised land? Here's the thing
2: we know. Moses already had the real treasure. Moses had that intimacy with God. Moses has an eternal reward, even though he didn't get to set foot on the promised land that he toiled and labored and gave out his life and and poured into these people who so often were complaining and backbiting and grumbling, saying, why did you bring us out here to kill us? You should have left us in Egypt. How would that feel? (laughs) How would that feel? I don't know, but it wouldn't be good. Um, but Moses had the true treasure that Jesus talks about in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, one of the, I think it's the shortest parable because it's one verse. Matthew 13, And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what Jesus says right relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God and walking in his ways and knowing what his spirit is like in your life, that it is worth A treasure that you would do that for. It's like you go out to Morley Field over here, and you're just—I don't know—throwing a frisbee, and you find a treasure box (laughs) that has one million dollars in it, and (laughs) or some kind of you know crown jewels from some other country that just ended up there. And 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 I love this because it says he like the man like hit it, he like re-hit it. Like I don't want anyone else to find this. Like that doesn't sound like evangelism, right? But he hid it, and so he went and he sold everything he had, not with regret, but with joy. Joyfully, everything, whatever, whatever it is that he had, he sold it with a smile on his face so that he could have
1: this. Yeah. Do we look at our relationship with God like that? Jesus says we should. Jesus
2: says in, in the most true words, that is what it is like, a treasure that you would gladly, laughing all the way down the street, sell everything for, <laughs> just so you could go buy that field. I got to have that. And so that's why I read this, and I don't think Moses missed out. And not only did he have that intimacy with God, but he had an eternal promise. He had an eternal reward waiting for him. And Jesus came to promise us that too. Not only a relationship with Him now, but an eternal
1: life with Him. Yeah. Last night, um, several of you were
2: there and we celebrated uh, Tyson and Winnie and their, their 10th wedding anniversary and renewal of vows. And, and I was commenting with someone this morning just um, how much laughter was there and how much friendship and just how much joy. And I think it was, uh, to Sylvia, I said, it was like a taste of heaven. And then I thought about it. I was like, I should put that in a sermon. <laughs> Seriously. So, um, but no, it, it was like a little glimpse of the party uh, that the marriage supper of the Lamb has been described as. That, that, that God says in Revelation 21 that God will be among, with his people. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. And there'll be no more sadness or crying or pain or death or mourning. Yeah. That Jesus has promised us that. And I know maybe you're here today, there's people that say, Well, Christians just promise that eternal life so that so that they can get you to do what you want to do here in this life. Religion is just the opiate of the masses. We'll just tell you, hey, don't worry about, we'll get your eyes off things going on here. Look the other way for injustice and oppression, and look the other way for all the things that are broken here. Just look up there, right? But I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. (laughs) Jesus made promises. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will never taste death. Do you believe this? John 11. And the Apostle Paul, the, the early Christians, they, they didn't just come up with some doctrine of the resurrection and say, hey, this will make us feel better. <laughs> no, they were reacting to Jesus who really rose from the dead and making sense of it. And what the Apostle Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, when people had basically said, oh, there's not, there's, we're not going to be raised from the dead at the end of the age. It's not going to happen. It, it was good news, but it was in the past. And, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15... If there's no resurrection of the dead, then then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses. We're found to be liars about God because we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he didn't raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. In verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we
1: are of all people to be most pitied. Think of anyone that you've met in your life that you've ever had pity
2: on because of their situation or circumstance or whatever it may be, things out of their control. And the Bible says that if we only have hope for this life in Christ, We are to be, of all people, most pitied, more pitiable than anyone you can think of. That's how much Christianity has banked on the solid rock truth of the resurrection hope that we have. It's not just a promise. It's not just, hey, God's going to help you in this life, and then you get heaven. No, it's like, God has promised you heaven with him. Live now like it's true. Live with your eyes on that prize. Live with your eyes on that eternal reward and live in the moment and the intimacy that
1: Jesus Christ died to give you. Ironically, it's, it's not people who forget eternal perspective that get the
2: most good done in the, in the world. I would argue that it's people who have that eternal perspective who know that God is in control and that right will win and that God will win and that all wrongs will be made right in the end, who can have hope and faith and stand up for good and right things here and now. Oh, y'all aren't with me. All right. All I right. see how it is. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. No, but I, I, I've seen it in our church. The most beautiful accounts of forgiveness and reconciliation and you know what that came from? Not because we just have hope in this life. Not because relationships are rosy and, and great and amazing all the time. No, it, be, it came because we believe in the goodness of God. Yeah. And that as much healing as we experience here, it's, not, it's going to be fully healed in Him at the last day. Amen? And because of that belief, we are experiencing reconciliation now. You guys see that? Full circle. Way to go, God. Amen. Amen. So it makes you ask today, and if you're here and you're experiencing a turn in your story, it it makes us ask, is God my promised land? Is my answer everything going how I want it to go in this situation? Or is my answer God being in my life and promising me eternal life with him? Another thing it brings up Another thing it brings up is this idea that there is a difference between potential and calling. There's a difference between potential and calling. We have an idol of potential in our culture, and we're so used to it, we grow up in it, we don't even think anything of it. But here's some of the ways you can notice it. One of the worst fears we have is unmet potential in ourselves. The thing that keeps us awake at night is I'm not going to get done what I need to get done, the goals I have, the things I feel like I need to do. Or maybe it's not us, maybe it's our kids. And one of the most fearful things you can hear as a parent is you didn't help them realize their potential right? That's why we have a camp for our camps. Like we have the sports camp and then the math camp and then the whatever camp. And then you got to know three languages and use, you know, Mac and everything before you're 11 years old (laughs) so that you can get into the right college eight
1: years later. We have a hustle culture where it's,
2: Hey, if you, you need to get it done, and if you're going to get it done, it's going to be on you. And if you don't get it done, that's a clear representation that you did not hustle enough. So you better meet your potential, because we're all judging you. And we're all judging ourselves. We have FOMO. We have fear of missing out. <laughs> but I want you to notice something interesting about this story. When God first called Moses... In Exodus 3, it didn't, it didn't include the promised land in his call. The promised land was always there for his people, but when he called Moses, he said, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And we've got to pay attention to what God is calling us to do, because if we don't, we're going to get lost in the slavery of Potential. And we're going to have all these plates spinning and we're going to think, I need to do this, I need to do that, and I need to do that. And if I reach 35 and I haven't done this, then I've failed. And that's just me. All right. Because we're so caught up in all the things that we could do, all the good things that we could do. But God has not called you to do all the things. (laughs) Right? God has not. This is This might be weird to hear. God has not called you to fulfill your potential. He's called you to fulfill your calling. There are a million things that you could do that God may not be calling you to do. And you are not, in God's eyes, you are not a failure if you set those aside to say, I'm listening to the call that you've placed on my life.
1: You... You can't fulfill
2: your potential. This is not a pep talk, I don't, know. but it really is. It really is. Hey, hear me out. I'm, I'm going to clarify. But you cannot fulfill all your potential, but you can fulfill what God's called you to do. God will not give you all the energy to do all the things that you think you need to do in a given day, but he will always give you the energy that you need to do what he's called you to do today without fail. He's our provider. He's a good father. He, and he knows what he has called you to accomplish today. And I, I, I had to be reminded of that in a conversation this week because I was feeling overwhelmed and I was feeling plate spinning. And I, and I talked with a friend named Vince and I was telling him about it. And he was like, hey, is there a time like you know, when God's, you know, God's kind of helped you out of that before and I was so feeling overwhelmed that I was like, I know there is, but I can't remember right now. Anyone been there? Right? And then he reminded me. Well, he's like, you told me this thing once that God will always give you everything you need to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish today. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that's good. Whoever said that was good.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
2: Praise God. It's true, though. Hear me out. I'm not saying don't be ambitious. Be ambitious. But be ambitious for the kingdom. Amen. Be ambitious for what God is calling you to do. Don't be ambitious for what the world says that you have to do in order to be recognized or respected or to be accepted. Don't be ambitious for that.
1: If you're a parent, and, and it seems like uh, the the things that this world
2: is calling you to do is pulling you away from being a good parent, I got news for you. God has called you to be a good parent. If you're you're single and you feel like the world is just burdening you with, you have to accomplish these things and you have to get these notches in your career before you find someone and you have to have it all figured out. Be ambitious, but be ambitious for the kingdom. Be ambitious for the things of God. Selfish ambition is always a sin in the Bible, but not, not ambition, <laughs> not kingdom ambition.
1: Amen? God has called you to fulfill his calling on your life.
2: Other things this story brings up. It's a truth that we find all throughout the Bible, and it's this idea that sin has a lot of effects on our lives. Sin is, sin is rebelling against God and, and sinning against his laws, but it's not just breaking the rules. It's also a heart attitude of rebellion against God that says, I know what's best for me. And that has all kinds of effects on our lives. Sin separates us from God. It introduces death into our lives. It brings turmoil in our earthly relationships. It brings turmoil even our relationship with creation. It it has all kinds of effects, but one of the things that it does experientially in our hearts, excuse me, is this. Sin keeps things out of reach. Sin keeps the thing that you think you really want always on the horizon of your heart. It's always right out of grasp. Let me illustrate. So if you, ha- if you are reading all the way through Deuteronomy or all the way through the, the, the Pentateuch, because that's fun to say, um, you, you actually wouldn't be surprised that Moses didn't go to the promised land because God foretold it uh, seven or eight times. And he told him, and it wasn't just random, it was not a pun, it was not a random, but it was a punishment because <laughs> it had to do with sin. It had to do with disobedience. In Numbers 20 is the story, and it's, it's kind of mysterious as it's presented, but it was a time when they were out of water, and the people were grumbling and complaining, and God told Moses what to do um, uh, to uh, strike the rock, and water would come out. This amazing miracle. And then Moses goes, and he like, loses his temper. <laughs> he talks to the people. He's like, because you rebels... <laughs> And then he strikes the rock twice, and um, God basically tells him, you disobeyed my order and you didn't represent me well in front of the people, and because
1: of that, you're not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. And the effect that I'm talking about, sin keeping things out of your reach, is something
2: that has been true since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve in the garden right?
1: The, the, the lie is this. God is withholding good from you.
2: You know what's better for you. You know what's good for you better than God knows what's better for you. God is withholding good from you. Oh, no, you won't die. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll live forever, right? And they go for that, Because they believe the lie that what I need is out of my reach. What I need is just out of my reach. And hear me today, church. We believe the same lie. We believe the same lie in our hearts time after time after time. That the thing that we really need is just, we're almost there. Anyone with me? That... That I'll feel happy once I get that next rung up on the career ladder. That I'll feel happy once I find the one. Or I'll be really happy and I'll be settled once I've found the one and we have kids. And then parents are like, I'll be really happy once the kids are all grown up. And then we'll have the house back to ourselves,
1: whatever it may be. I don't know. Um. But what that does to us is this, joy is always right out of reach.
2: Peace is always, I can't have peace until I understand this situation, or I can't have peace until it calms down. I can't have joy until I get that thing that I've been looking for it for years. I can't have healing until everything has been completely made right and everyone's been reconciled. I can't experience healing. That is a lie. And the devil's bet is betting on you to keep believing that your whole life. And if you do, you will not experience true joy and true peace and true forgiveness and true healing and true freedom that God has promised you. It's a carrot on a stick. It's a hamster wheel with no end. (laughs) It's a little hamster hands. And what that does, what this effect of sin does to us is it puts a hole in our heart that we're never satisfied until,
1: until, until, until. And so
2: we see that, we see that personified in the fact that Moses didn't get to go into the promised land and that his sin kept him right out of it. And one thing I think about as I read this story is if Moses was that good (laughs) and his sin kept him out, what's the hope for me? (laughs) What's the hope for me? Because I have not led a nation of millions of people (laughs) out of slavery. (laughs) I've not led them into places that didn't have water or food, and yet there was manna from heaven and there was water from a rock. I've not... Been face to face with God and heard him
1: reveal himself in a new way. And his sin kept him out. I'm not as good as Moses. What's the hope for me?
2: I mean, that's why the passage ends like it does. Because God had promised in, in Deuteronomy 18, 18, same book, Few chapters earlier, he had said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. So there's this promise that Moses, we know you're gonna die, but I'm gonna raise up another prophet, and he's gonna say everything I commanded him. And in the end of that passage says this: Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. So you're reading the book and you're reading the story, and you're you're realizing. We're expecting one to come, but it hasn't happened yet. We're expecting that no prophet is... Ri- uh, but, th- but they're saying it hasn't happened yet. One who the Lord knew face to face and who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. <laughs> but one did. Amen? Amen. Jesus came, and that's why when Jesus came on the scene, the crowds asked him, are you the prophet? You guys ever notice that? They're saying, are you a prophet? They said, are you the prophet? Are you the one that was going to come? We've been waiting. We've been waiting. And Jesus came, and he did signs and wonders. And Jesus came, and he said, I only say what the Father has told me to say. (laughs) Ah, Jesus is that prophet, and Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses got to be a part of manna in the wilderness, but Jesus came and said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. If you feast on me, you'll never be hungry. Moses got to be a part of a miracle with water coming out of a rock, but Jesus stood up in the crowd and said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. You'll never thirst again. Water, Rivers of living water will flow out from you. (laughs) Moses led an exodus out of Egypt, out of 400 years of slavery. Jesus led an exodus out of sin and guilt and shame and fear and death. Moses took out his anger on that rock, but Jesus came and let our sins be taken out on him. That song we sang, the sin of man and the wrath of God. Jesus took that on on the cross and he did it to give us life. Moses had to die before the Israelites could go into the promised land, but Jesus gave his life so that we could have eternal life. And he could promise us eternal life with him forever. <laughs> Jesus didn't deserve the cross. Moses being kept out of the promised land was because of something he did that God said he deserved. And if God said it, I believe it. But Jesus, when he came to the end of his life, he deserved a reward. He deserved the promised land. He deserved everything that we could give him. And instead of that, he got rejected. Rejected by the very people that he came to save. (laughs) Jesus, and when you read that story, that's the ultimate story turn. That's the ulti- He's the only one who didn't sin, and yet he should be triumphantly entering Jerusalem to be king. And yet he enters Jerusalem to be killed for us. In my place, in your place, on that tree, that our sins deserve death. But Jesus died in our place, and he rose again. And he did that so that you could be free from sin. He did that so that you could be free from this lie that sin tells you, that you can't have joy until you got to figure it out. You can't have peace until you know what's going on. No, you can have it now in the name of Jesus Christ. You can't be forgiven until you somehow feel better or until 20 years go by. No, you can have it today, right now in Jesus Christ.
1: If you confess and believe in him, you can be forgiven right now and you will feel it. Y'all don't know when to shout, huh? Mm. All right.
2: It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. It's good news. When your story takes a turn, whatever it is, you've got to turn to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can make sense of it. And Jesus is the only one who died to give you eternal life. Jesus is the only one
1: who earned that reward and then gives it to you freely. And so today as I'm wrapping up, I'm, I'm going
2: to ask you to do this, to ask God. If you're there and you're feeling overwhelmed or if you're, you're feeling like, God, what's the point of this? What's, what am I supposed to do? I, I would encourage you to ask God, God, what are you calling me to do right now? God, help the, the flurry of potential and the weight and the chains of thinking I have to do all this. Help that break right now and let me know what you're calling me to do in this moment, how you're calling me to obey. And another thing, another thing is to make it, maybe it's later today or maybe it's this week, make a list, make a list of all the things in your life that you treasure or that you're hoping for, the things that you're hoping to get out of life. And when you have the list, say, Jesus, I treasure you more. Jesus, you're worth more than this. Jesus, you're worth more than this. You're worth more than my hopes. You're worth more than my dreams. You're worth more than my goals. You're worth
1: more than whatever I think my promised land is. God, you are my promised land. And if you do, you're going to feel freedom from that slavery of potential. You're going you're gonna to have focus for the impact that God has called you to make in his kingdom. And you can have joy now. And I've seen that lived out
2: testimony after testimony in this church. And, and, and other Christians I know that aren't part of this church, but God offers you joy now, not
1: later. Right now. God offers you peace that passes understanding right now.
2: You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to hustle for it. You don't have to earn it. He's already earned it, and he's offering it to you. Forgiveness now. Yeah, the, the, the accuser of the brethren may be telling you, no, God couldn't forgive you. God doesn't love you. Remember what you did? I remember what you did. No one else knows what you did, but I know what you did. And God
1: says, no, I paid for that. I died for that. It's covered. Yeah,
2: yeah, Moses didn't enter the promised land. He got to see, but not go into it physically. But he got so much more.
1: He got so much more than a land that flows in milk and honey. And we're promised so much more. You're promised so much more than your best life now. That's all I got, folks. We got to pray. Let's pray. Mm. Mm. Jesus.
2: Mm. Jesus, you are the well that never runs dry. You are the bread of heaven that satisfies our deepest hunger. Jesus, you are the light of the world that defeats and breaks the darkness. Or Jesus, you are the leader of the exodus out of sin and guilt and shame and fear. God, you are the one who has promised us salvation and secured it and given us a true and living hope. And Lord, we come here today confessing that, and the reason we come and confess it is because there's so many times that we forget. There's even some times where we remember it and choose to forget, and choose instead to say, no, I still need this. No, I still need to see the whole story before I can trust the storyteller. God, we need you. We need you, God. I need you. God, I pray for every heart that you're speaking to right now, Lord, for those um, who are here that you are just uh, hitting them square in the eyes with with your word and with your spirit. I just pray for um, the courage and the faith to say yes to you, Lord. God, I pray for the courage and the faith in these next few minutes as we respond to your word and to what you're calling us to do, Lord, I pray that in the spiritual realm we would see Shackles shackles, and chains fall off. Lord. We have a spiritual enemy, but he is not victorious. Lord. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lord. So I pray for these next few moments we would experience that reality. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now Lord, to minister to our hearts, God, to apply your word, Lord, not my ideas or my opinions or anything else, Lord, to apply your word and apply your truth, apply your grace and your love and your power in our hearts, God. I pray that after a few minutes when we leave, there would just be uh, an infusion of faith in our hearts, God, as we step into the rest of this week knowing that you are good and you are sovereign and you are in control and you love us, God. Thank you so much. We pray all these things
1: in the name of Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen, amen. amen.